Welcome to the Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. In this podcast, we hope to demystify Parkinson's disease, looking at everything from the basics to the cutting edge. Whether you are a healthcare professional, sufferer, carer, or family member looking to learn more, leading experts Professor Baz Bloom and Professor Werner Poover will help uncomplicate the subject. Orwin presents Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Parkinson Alphabet, the ABC of Parkinson's. I'm Werner Pöwe from Innsbruck Medical University in Austria, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Professor Bas Blom of Radboud University Hospital in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. And we're here with this Alphabet um, podcast through the support of Bial, to whom we're grateful. Um, Bas, good to have you back. Um, we have a new letter to address in the alphabet today, and that's the F, the letter F. And there's one word that's a bit of a buzzword in, in COVID times, um, again, um, that's fatigue. But fatigue is an issue in Parkinson's, isn't it? Yes, it's a major issue. Uh, when patients tell a doctor, I'm tired, usually the doctor also feels tired because it is such a complex issue. What I always do when patients with Parkinson's say, I'm fatigued, I'm tired, I try to make it very explicit what they mean. And I have a few variants of what I call, or what patients refer to as fatigue. One is the motor fatigue. They simply lack energy which is typically more pronounced during the off periods. Um, people may recall Ray Kennedy, a famous football player from England, who in his heyday played for the national team and for Liverpool, whose first symptom of young onset Parkinson's was excessive fatigue right after the football game, which nobody could understand at the time, and which in hindsight heralded the onset of his Parkinson's. So that type of fatigue can be early. For some patients, it's a mental fatigue. They are actually depressed so or sometimes they have frontal executive problems and they call this fatigue a third category is people with excessive daytime sleepiness they have a poor nighttime sleep which is often disturbed for a wide variety of reasons and they tend to fall asleep during the day and they call this fatigue and then a fourth category is lack of breath dyspnea and we are increasingly realizing that breathing is yet another part of the complex spectrum of Parkinson's. So whenever a patient says, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I try to distinguish between these four. I'm, I'm wondering whether you recognize these same four main phenotypes. Bas, I think you've made a very important point here. Um, and that is this um, borderland between the different phenomena. <laughs> Uh, and indeed, when fatigue was studied in the literature um, and correlations were sought between fatigue and fatigue scales and certain features of the disease, things that came out were, as you pointed out, a correlation of fatigue with sleep, a correlation with apathy, yeah. a correlation with depression. And one important feature of fatigue, of course, is that patients have this perception of effort in what they do and that effort is disproportionate to the actual task they're, they're about to fulfill where they just need 
that much more effort. And the prevalence is very, very common. Uh, pretty good data in Parkinson's disease. And they converged into um, a number of 30 to 50 percent, I think, patients with Parkinson's disease who have some sort of these different types of fatigue phenomena that you described, Buzz. Um, and what amazed me when reading the literature about this, there isn't a lot of difference between early Parkinson's disease and later Parkinson's disease in relation to prevalence of fatigue. Um, it tends to get a bit more severe and common with advancing with longer duration and with older age, but it's there from the very beginning. And I think you alluded to that, that that may be one of the initial changes that patients notice when they are on the road into Parkinson's. The problem is, Baz, I don't know what you do. I find it so difficult um, to treat this. I, I think that's a that's not an easy problem. It has an impact on so many functions, as you pointed out, and quality of life and well-being, but it's not easy to treat. No, absolutely. I think trying to identify what patients mean is step number one, uh, and then try to treat accordingly. Depression is treatable if it happens to be depression. If it's poor nighttime sleep, there's a range of strategies to improve nighttime sleep. The most difficult patients are the ones that are close in the spectrum of apathy, or motor fatigue, definitely treating response fluctuations, uh, reducing the off periods uh, with more continuous forms of dopaminergic stimulation, um, whether this be optimizing oral pharmacotherapy or one of the advanced treatments is an option. And sometimes, sometimes stimulants can be used. Although in patients with more advanced disease, this comes with a risk of um, hallucinations or other psychosis sometimes even. So the therapeutic window in later stages becomes very limited. So trying to find the root cause and treat it accordingly is my number one strategy. Mm. Yeah, I would underwrite that completely. And I think what you pointed out is important. One has to try and optimize the dopaminergic treatment in order to make sure one doesn't have fatigue phenomena predominantly as an off-period um, um, issue, that, that's something we can do something about, or the treatment of depression, as you highlighted. Um, the amphetamines, it's a difficult story. There are some data, as, and that's why you're saying it from, from studies, but it's not, it's not easily used in clinical practice. I haven't, to be honest. I, I haven't. I've shied away from it. It's worth trying. It's rarely gratifying. Uh, sometimes, mm. sometimes amantadine um, mm -hmm. can be a bit helpful. Methylphenidate can sometimes be helpful. Yeah. But again, it's rarely gratifying and uh, trying to not fight the end symptom, but rather the root cause is, is, is much more rewarding in my experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the interesting thing is that a symptom like fatigue is one of those non-motor symptoms that tends to fluctuate. Uh, we already said that trying to treat fluctuations is one of the strategies to combat fatigue and other motor and non-motor symptoms. So that's another letter of the alphabet F, fluctuations. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your take on fluctuations and, and what is your first yeah. step? Yeah. 
Well, fluctuations, historically, looking back in my own career, uh, fluctuations was the term that we used to describe the pharmacokinetics of levodopa and the peaks and the troughs in plasma levels with multiple oral daily doses of, of levodopa. And that's been done in the 1970s already. Uh, so we were speaking of fluctuating plasma levels of levodopa. And uh, even the 1970s sh uh, saw studies that really nicely showed that motor control goes down when plasma levels go down and comes back when plasma levels go up. And now we're very much into using fluctuations in the clinical sense. We're talking about fluctuations as a clinical problem. And um, it's an interesting topic because there are indeed variations in symptom severity, in well-being and performance in Parkinson's disease that are not really drug-dependent. So there, there is a certain element of variation and fluctuation in the disease itself. Um, but of course, what we focus on very much rightly so as physicians is to recognize those fluctuations that are related to fluctuations in the pharmacokinetics of our dopaminergic drugs um, is something we can we can help patients with and the, the, the most common early sign of that problem occurring is when patients and we talked about that in another uh, podcast on the alphabet uh, notice in the early morning hours that their performance goes down and they run into into trouble moving or tremor comes back and then we have the development of this more regular wearing off type of pattern where the troughs are very much predictable and linked to the interdose interval but we have other phenomena fluctuations that are dependent on gastric emptying variation with delays in peaking of plasma levels and causing recurring Parkinsonism with so-called delayed on or no on phenomena. Uh, so a, a, a spectrum of things to discuss with patients and to make sure what is the problem of what what's fluctuating and is it is it a drug related fluctuation what type and sometimes it's very hard because these swings are so capricious and it's um, not easy to find to find a pattern but this is something important before we make the, the, the treatment decision how to approach the type of fluctuation present absolutely so you've pointed out various strategies to treat the pharmacokinetic component by prolonging the half-life of levodopa uh, with MEOB inhibitors or scont inhibitors adding perhaps a dopamine agonist but you also pointed to the stomach and might I add the gut as well uh, to maybe close and emphasize the importance of treating the gut in people in particular with unpredictable fluctuations, the delayed ons, the dose failures. Um, be aware of those if people tell you they have chronic constipation, bloating, frequent winds, nausea after meals, sometimes paradoxical diarrhea. It's an easy reflex to just write a prescription for yet another drug but treating the gut or the stomach or both properly in those individuals is uh, um, uh, an important strategy that's not to be missed i think as we talk Baz, it, it it always becomes so clear to me there is no shortcut in parkinson's disease care one has to elicit careful history at whichever stage, and you really pointed out it's so important to 
carefully analyze the problem. Where Where is it in a given patient with fluctuations in motor and non-motor response in order to to um, give the proper advice. So there's no other way but take your take sufficient time to to speak to your patients and find out what the problem is and try to do your best. Um, Buzz, a, quick, I, a, a quick, a quick, I know we're reaching the end. Uh, w- w- one tip for the listeners, which is more generic, is what I tell my patients is, you know, there are maybe 20, 30, 40 things you'd like to see improved as a Parkinson patient. And I tell my patients, the next time you come to my clinic, give me your top three, better even your top two, or if you can, your top one. And I'd much rather do one thing properly and take your time, as you pointed out, Werner, rather than to do 10 or 20 things superficially, which ends up doing nothing properly, right? So that's maybe a tip that we can close today. A good closing remark, indeed. Thank you, Baz. Thank you all for listening in. Thanks again to Bial for supporting this series, and we're both looking forward to having you with us next time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and oroin.com.